What would you like to share with listeners today? Other ways of responding to harm. Liberation. This sound shield that you could take with you to protest. Collaborative dialogue. Skimify the process. Liberation loops. My name is Carly Beck and you're listening to Liberation Loops, a series that is being created and produced from 3CR Studios on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boonwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. This is a series that dives deep into people's practices to challenge the criminal legal system. And through this series, I hope to discover in what ways people are already addressing violence in our communities and what ways people are learning to heal from harm. I'm a presenter on 3CR Thursday Breakfast And at the end of last year, we reflected on what stories we wanted to cover and whose voices we wanted to amplify. Our team fiercely believes in the abolition of prisons, police and surveillance. So here it is. Liberation Loops. The yarn that ties theory into practice. The fabric that creates tools for community accountability. And the fierce fire that challenges the criminal settler legal system. I'm Wang Yi and Chinese. My great-grandmother and her mother lived at Louis Creek and Lawn Hill, just north of Mount Isa. But I grew up in Sherwood, Brisbane, on Yagara country, and I've lived and worked the majority of my life on Yagara and Turrbal country. I've been a youth worker, a paralegal, and at points in my life I've described myself as an activist and some other points I've described myself as an organiser. And I'm currently residing on the Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation. A few months ago, I was sitting in Dandenong Magistrates Court. The magistrates spent the entire day hearing intervention order applications, each with different people, but similar stories of abuse, similar histories, similar bloodlines. Is our collective response to harm to talk to the police? People who perpetuate state violence, have them serve paperwork on someone we love or used to love, and if someone breaches what that paperwork says, to have that person charged with a criminal offence. I spent the entire day at Dandenong Magistrates Court. Language translators were present for the majority of the matters. The magistrate repeated the same set of orders for each matter. Parties left in the same car. I don't know if this practice has ever worked. Are the demands of people who have experienced harm heard? Is the person who has caused harm given space to understand and process the harm they have caused? We have all caused harm and we've all been harmed. We all have to learn the ways in which we are complicit in allowing both state and interpersonal violence to occur and the ways in which, within the spaces we already exist, we can reduce violence within our communities. I've read a lot about transformative justice. Um, I've read a lot about community accountability And in fact, I've tried to facilitate and be involved in community accountability processes. But people have either not wanted to acknowledge the harms that they have caused, or have found it difficult to uphold and do justice to the demands of survivors. I've also been complicit in watching violence occur, and I've found it easier sometimes to do nothing. This work is hard. This work takes practice. I want to find out the ways that people are already trying, what has worked, what hasn't worked, and what futures people are dreaming of. Today's discussion is with Bridget Chappelle. Bridget is the founder of Sound School and they coordinate the Synthesizer program. They perform solo as Hextape and as a producer they have toured Australia 
Europe and Southeast Asia. They work as a sound engineer, co-organise raves with various collectives, and they are a phenomenal celloist. Bridget has a residency at Testing Grounds, and in our conversation they speak about their current project to phase, cancel the cops. This conversation encapsulates what this series is about. Merging theory and practice. Learning from trial and error. This afternoon, I am sitting in testing grounds on beautiful Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation with Bridget Chapel. Um, welcome, Bridget. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So can you tell listeners a little bit more um, about how this project started? Sure. Well, I've been working on it for about a year now, exploring this idea of using acoustic science to challenge um, state power, I guess, state power that manifests as sound. Um, so whether we're talking about police sirens or kind of terror alert sirens, um, long range acoustic devices, um, things like that. So forms of yeah, state control through sound um, and also state weaponization of sound. And it started um, because I was really just speculating on whether you could apply the principles of noise cancelling headphones to specific sounds that you don't want to hear, namely, yeah, sounds of the police. Um, the way that noise cancelling headphones work is to, they have a small microphone on the outside of the headphones that creates then a mirror image of the sound waves that are coming in and sends them back on themselves. and what actually happens when two mirror images of the same, same sound wave meet each other is that they cancel each other out. Um, and it works really well in very controlled environments like headphones. Um, and there has been some experimentation into reproducing those effects on a mass scale. Mostly it's military research and development units, um, not individual artists like myself <laughs> exploring ideas like that because it's pretty high tech. Um, so I suppose my attempts at it are meant to be kind of a start of this conversation um, into how folks who are against state power could go about creating their own versions of this technology. Um, and do you think that an activist could um, eventually use this technology ourselves? I think so, yeah. Um, I'm taking lead from really new, interesting developments into activist technology from recent movements in Chile and Hong Kong um, and things like that, where we see activists using hundreds of laser pens to bring down a police drone or using laser pens to scramble um, the receptors on CCTV um, so that there's no facial recognition technology at play in protest situations. And I think we're probably not far off from seeing noise cancelling headphones being part of an activist's toolkit for street protests like that. Um, and yeah, you certainly could argue that maybe we could just all put on noise cancelling headphones and that would be that. But I just was really excited by the idea of creating a collective space where um, the sounds of the state can't permeate. Yeah. And like already, um you know, just like the sounds of the city, like even where we are today at testing grounds, um, I find her a lot even on my ears. Um, do you think that this, you know, kind of project could also assist people who are living on busy and main roads? 
Yeah, there's um, way more kind of, um, or way less political applications of it for sure. Um, and that's actually where you see the couple of examples that have filtered through to the commercial market. Um, that's where they've been aimed at, say, developing a device that can turn say, your apartment window into a phase canceller for street noise and things like that. And it definitely is easier with kind of like low, constant, predictable rumbling sounds like traffic um, than sounds that were designed to cut through everything else like sirens. <laughs> I really bit off quite a bit to chew there. Um, but yeah, there's actually an example of this in Melbourne. I can't remember which highway it was trialled on of using active noise cancellation. So the same process in the kind of like highway sound um, blockers that you usually have, like those big walls that are meant to just absorb as much of the sound as possible for the houses behind them. Um, so that would be what an example of what you would normally call passive noise cancellation. So the totally normal stuff that we all do to try and stop sounds from the outside world coming in at us. Um, but then the active version of that is to have a moving part in the system that captures and reproduces the incoming sound waves and sends them back out to create phase cancellation. Yeah, so there really are a lot of applications of it. And when I turned up today, you were just you know, sitting at your desk and you were surrounded by all of this equipment. Can you talk me through the resources that you've bound together through community? Yeah, it definitely has been a wonderful example of community um, because I've been lucky to receive really great responses from my call out for speaker and amp donations. Um, People have asked me, has it been challenging for you to make a art project in like a pretty mainstream setting that is really, really um, clearly against the police? Um, and I think the really easy and friendly and excited response I've had to it maybe goes to the heart of how probably deep down everyone hates the police, but maybe not everyone realizes that yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I had a really generous response to my call out for speaker donations. I've got about um, 40 or 50 now different kinds of speakers. And so essentially what I'm, one of the versions of this idea that I'm building is kind of two Frankenstein sound systems that would face each other, both emitting the same siren. Um, to then create a really interesting um, result in the middle where there'll be moments of phase cancellation and signal scrambling and things like that. Yeah, it's easiest to achieve phase cancellation with bass waves just because they're physically longer. So, yeah, low frequency waves um, is where I've seen the best versions of this idea of phase cancellation. So. Probably the most successful version uh, of the project that I've done so far is to have two stacks of subs facing each other. Um, subwoofers only producing like really low tone um, notes where, yeah, you can have really, really tangible phase cancellation happening there. 
Um, as soon as you start to send more traditional siren sounds through it, though, it gets a bit more complicated. But a new version of the project that I've started work on this week is something that's meant to be like a bit more portable. Um, and again, it's this kind of like speculative technology that's meant to be a prototype that doesn't work perfectly yet, but maybe kind of like, yeah, poses an idea or a question for what people could do next with it. Um, the idea of this sound shield that you could take with you to protests. So I made the face of the shield itself out of a wheelie bin lid. I really liked um, kind of like giving a bit of a nod to wheelie bin sound systems. <laughs> and then, you know, you like you repurpose the lid as well to make the shield to like, you know, keep out sounds that you don't want. Um, on the front of the shield uh, is a shotgun microphone, which is really just a hyperdirectional microphone that you can aim wherever you want. And then that runs straight into a little amp, which then runs straight into what's called a transducer, which is attached to the back of the shield. And a transducer is this um, really amazing little piece of alchemy, which maybe not everyone is familiar with specifically, but everyone uses them because they're what you find in both microphones and speakers, or like even headphone speakers, um, because they turn either sound waves into electricity or electricity into sound waves, depending, you know, how you purpose them. Um, so I just have this single transducer that hasn't been, you know, purposed in either direction yet. And a transducer in a speaker would normally be attached to this highly specialised purpose-built cone that sends out the sound in, you know, the highest fidelity possible, um, made with, you know, the best materials for becoming this device to turn electricity into sound waves. Um, but you can actually just stick a transducer onto anything, anything that will move, and it will turn that object into the speaker itself. Um, so by sticking this transducer onto the bin lid, um, it sends the sound waves straight back out. Um, yeah, so putting the microphone right in front of it and then having that go straight to the speaker behind it should, in theory, then recreate the same sound waves that the microphone is picking up and send them back at the same source. Um, yeah, so, yeah, that's just like the portable prototype of it that I've been working on this week. Um, and are there any other little mini projects that you've been working on as well? Yeah, I've been working on my own long-range acoustic device. Um, so for people that haven't come across those yet. Um, it's usually shortened to the acronym LRAD. Long-range acoustic devices come under the category of non-lethal weapons. Um, I'm doing air quotes while I say that <laughs> because they're super dangerous. But no, they don't kill or leave visible scars. Um, so they're part of there's pretty alarming developments in military technology and like kind of crowd control technology. Um, that are used to, yeah, usually used against civilians by cops or soldiers. And it's a device that shoots a pretty focused, very loud beam of sound over a long distance, um, up to one kilometre in distance and up to 150 decibels in volume. Um, decibels are a bit of a funny metric for measuring sound because um, it really depends where you're standing and you know how good your own hearing is but um, to give you an idea 120 decibels is 
they usually accepted limit for the safe level of human hearing. So it far surpasses that. But beyond the volume, um, LRADs usually broadcast um, specific frequencies that are just incredibly uncomfortable for the human ear. So usually really ear-splitting high frequencies pair that with a really high amplitude or volume. Um, if you had an LRAD pointed at you, you would have to drop whatever you're doing and cover your ears. You would probably start running. You would probably start to feel nauseous, um, kind of dizzy and confused, even vertigo. And you would suffer nerve damage in your ears and maybe permanent hearing loss. Interestingly, there's very little legislation around LRADs though, partly because there's no legislation around what frequencies you can broadcast at people. Um, like there is for volume, sure, but not for the other factors. Most police units in Australia now possess LRADs. Um, the Australian Federal Police do, and the police departments of Victoria, WA, NT, and Queensland have all admitted to possessing these weapons. Um, I think we can safely assume that South Australia and New South Wales do as well. They just have declined to comment. Um, it's pretty terrifying stuff. And the fact that, yeah, they're used with almost no training and no legislation around it means that they could really just be cracked out at any moment. Um, and no one's going to have a lot of legal recourse against them. Um, and, yeah, hard to kind of um, build a case of evidence for the damage that they've done to people. So I really like the idea of us starting to match those developments in state technology with our own technologies that could defend us against them. Yeah, so I have a little miniature LRAD um, because I also like the idea of us having them too. <laughs> As, yeah, I started to think, oh, I can, I can think of all these like groups I know that I could send it to. <laughs> I wonder what, what uses they would find for it. Um, I think it's really interesting where there's kind of where technology it always moves much faster than the law does. So even with drones, you know, like I think legislation is starting to catch up now with what you can do with drones and what you can't do with drones. But there was an interesting couple of years there where it was like just kind of cowboy territory, um, and I think that's where we're at with a lot of this like sonic weaponry now. Talking about sonic weaponry, something that comes to mind is that um, last year on Invasion Day, um, Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance had all of their speakers taken off them by the police. And then this year, um, it was a really cool like activist tool where 3CR came on board and people could download an app so that, uh, and also plug in their Bluetooth speakers so that they could hear um, the speaker, like people who were speaking on the day. And... I was actually up in Munjin for Invasion Day this year and they didn't have that technology and so I was out the back and I couldn't hear what was being said. Um, are there other things that you can think of that are happening where we're using sound in a really unique way to benefit us? Well, I think it's a really great example that you bring up. I was really, really excited um, when I heard about that and I used that technology at the rally here in Nam. This year, um, I thought it was really, really cool and kind of a really interesting example of, I suppose when we talk about using our mobile phones in activism, we're usually talking about using 
not using them in a material sense. We're kind of talking about, um, yeah, increasing visibility for an issue or something like that. Um, and I really liked the phone being a material activist tool. Um, yeah, I do know that there's certain apps that you can get that will allow to use your phone as a police scanner. Um, it's quite hard to listen in on most police radio now in Australia because of just like digital FM and, you know, all the kind of encryption methodologies that they have. But you can still listen in on some frequencies. Um, and I think it's pretty funny that there's just apps floating around that allow you to do that. Probably just another example of, yeah, using sound um, as our inversion of sonic weaponry is just, I don't know, the... The first way that I was indoctrinated into all of this was through rave culture. Um, people educating themselves about how to build sound systems, how to get them into really weird locations, teaching ourselves about electricity because we need to know how to power these things um, and just totally transforming spaces in pretty subversive ways through sound. Yeah. And back on this project, have you felt that there's times where this has just been too hard and things have failed? Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about your journey on this project. Absolutely, yes. There's been so many times when I've felt really, like, way in over my head um, and really frustrated that, you know, there's probably people that I don't know and will probably never meet who are funded to do this kind of research and development, but that's because they're working for yeah, military departments. Um, and yeah, in terms of what I'm trying to produce, um, I've, yeah, I've felt really set back certain times. And I think maybe just not with the physical setbacks of it, because it is incredibly hard to do mass scale phase cancellation. Um, but I think I had a bit of a um, transformation in how I was thinking about it recently when I started thinking more about how the vast majority of policing actually happens in silence. Um, like it's all, it's cute to like get rid of sirens, um, but I think anyone who's ever, you know, engaged in activism or, you know, other subversive activities would tell you that sometimes sirens are really useful for you to know where the cops are at certain times. I mean, I do think it's really interesting to kind of create this, like, speculative, you know, augmented reality space where sirens don't exist because I really object to the insidious way the sirens cause us to self-police, like they make you correct your behaviour as soon as you hear them. Um, but, you know, for the most part, police don't really let you know when they're rocking up. They're not going to do that. Um, and I got to thinking about that recently, actually, when Victoria Police launched this new snitch line and like they started advertising it with billboards all over town under the banner of for when you need us but not the sirens which i thought was so poetic and like lots of friends sent the ad to me and everything and it's really just meant to be a number that you call when you want to talk to the cops maybe because you have information for them or you know you want them to come around for a chat about whatever it is um, but you don't want them to turn up, like, then and there, sirens blaring. Um, yeah, which is pretty gross because it's really just streamlining the snitch process. And it's kind of streamlining this... Um, well, not streamlining, but it's, like, further feeding the idea that we're all acculturated to have that police are necessary in our community. 
and that you know they are who you should call when you have a concern like you know everyone even the most radical people can like think of certain situations in their life where there's been something going on and you don't know who to call um and you know maybe it's like a situation of violence or emergency or something um and you are not going to call the cops because you don't believe in the cops but then you're like oh i wish there was like a more organized kind of community alternative to that so yeah having like a hotline like that is kind of yeah strengthening this idea that the cops are just absolutely the you know form of power you should go to to solve problems um but it made me start thinking more about not sound as power but silence as power as well and of course you know people who are against the state and against the police have you know our own like arsenal of ways of doing that as well um like to give a no comment interview um to you know support each other and not snitching um just to be like a strong silent community in the face of you know these power structures trying to get information out of us so does that mean that you're thinking of other projects as well to do with silence <laughs> Hmm, that's a great idea. <laughs> yeah. I still like the idea that you could turn back sirens. Um just because I don't know. Sirens are just this really bossy annoying voice that I think we could all do without, you know. Um the the initial um version of a siren that made me want to conceive of this project um was the terror alert siren system that was installed in Melbourne 2 years ago where they installed 190 of these just like you know stationary sirens mounted on you know like lamp posts and stuff that is meant to be let off if there's like a class 3 emergency like a siege or something um or like yeah what they would consider an act of terrorism in the city um and it seems innocent enough right like maybe it's just like some you know big public safety measure but again it's always like who's the public who's safe who's not safe in these situations and why is it them that gets to have the monopoly on this commentary of what's considered an emergency like are they going to let the sirens off when they're bulldozing trees at Japurong no of course not like <laughs> Are they going to let the sirens off if there's like a huge fascist rally in town and people need to know that it's not safe to be in that space? Um, so I liked the idea of challenging those and creating silence or like silencing that imperative voice of the state. And what's next for you in this project? What are you hoping the end outcome is? If you do have an envisioning of an end outcome. <laughs> Um well what I'm working towards at the moment is um I have a solo exhibition at Blindside Gallery in the Nicholas Building next month um where I'll be yeah presenting this experimental technology for the first time to yeah an audience I guess um and so it'll be a collection of yeah like sound sculptures um demonstrating the technology and also just like plans and diagrams and like further explorations of the idea that opens on the 19th of March um and yeah it's being produced with the support of Liquid Architecture and yeah Blindside Gallery we'll have a couple of interesting like public program events around that um some talks some shows the show itself will be open for 3 weeks 
So that's what I'm building up to at the moment. One of the really nice things that's come out of this project since its um, beginning is just these incredibly rich, interesting conversations with people like yourself around, yeah, these ideas. And I feel sure that that conversation will just keep going and going and more and more people will start speculating on, you know, ways to better the technology and how you could do the next versions of it. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited for this kind of like public presentation of it because I think it will just fuel the idea more. Um, well, thank you so much, Bridget, for joining me this afternoon because, I mean, I know I love to rave. <laughs> I think there is a bit of a, you know, dichotomy um, where there are a lot of people who do engage in those spaces and that fun, but you've managed to, like, from that point, also see um, the ways in which we can, like, reshape our city um, and reshape our politics as well on how we live, like, our everyday, today lives and resist those really, like, archaic systems such as the police um, and surveillance as well. And I think that this project, yeah, is just, like, the outcomes could be endless. And I think that thinking about sound in this way, you're at the forefront of thinking about this, especially um, on the Kulin Nations lands at the moment. Thanks so much for having me. It's an honour. <laughs> and that was a conversation that I had with Bridget Chappelle about their work to phase cancel the cops. And you can actually view their work. Uh, there's an exhibition coming up as part of Blindside, and the opening night is the 19th of March from 6 to 8 p.m. So you can look up the details on the 3CR website by following the Liberation Loops series. And a huge thank you to Squidgenini for producing the music for the opening segment. Tune back in next week to hear a conversation that I have with Yung Dang about community accountability and pod mapping. See you next week.